time is it? Oh, we got plenty of time. 12.30 we're eating? Yeah, we got time. Okay, good. I want to talk a little bit about our outside the walls. And we are going to begin to revamp what outside the walls looks like. Outside the walls is our, we, we, we started off doing these weekends, right? And we said, we're going to do something on a Saturday or uh, I mean, on a Sunday, we're going to cancel church, make it easy for everyone to get involved. Well, that had its levels of success and or not so much. And, and some people took that to, you know, stay home and stay in. And that was good. Not. And so, but we've, um, <laughs> But we've done a lot of really good things over those weekends. And then we developed it into a Saturday and Sunday. And Amy Eccles is working really hard to develop these projects that we can go out and get outside the walls. And uh, we've done a lot of good things. Uh, I mean, a lot of service projects that we've done and helped in houses and, and ladies with their plants. And um, uh, down in St. Vincent to Paul, we've served them breakfast. We've done a lot of really good things. But we want to begin... To, I'm not sure. We're not going to change our focus. We're going to be a church that is going to be outside the walls church. And that's never going to change. But we want to add to this idea projects of sustainability. And what I mean by that is we want to make sure that we are just not hit and miss all the time. We want to make sure that we're not just kind of going in, doing something and getting out. And then our relationship with that entity is done. Because in our world, we have these, we have these structures, right? There's the structures of, of poverty. And within that, there's hunger. We have these structures of, of abuse. And all of these things are taking place in our world. And we want to begin to look at how do we come, how do we actually change those things and not just put a band-aid on them to, to help people just in that single moment. And so that's what we want to begin to develop in our minds, to develop as a church. Amy is going to be reaching out and tapping some of you on the shoulder to join a team of people that are going to investigate what does Cheshire really need? Cheshire is an affluent community. But there are still needs in this community. And I believe that when a healthy Jesus community moves into a place, things should change. Things should change for the good around them. And how do we make that change? One, one of the things you've looked at, and I've spoke with Mark, Mark Marzieski and Wes, they, when we first started our church, they did this um, Battle of the Bands thing, and they did it in Waterbury because we didn't have a place at that time. And so we did this thing. It was really successful. It was a ton of work. And Mark and I have begun to talk about this idea of sustainability. What's it look like to really change people's lives with the gospel? Because we're not just out there raking leaves and we're not just serving food. We want to bring people Jesus. We want to introduce people to Jesus that their brokenness can go from there to wholeness. And so he and I were talking and we're going to start, not me, he's going to start out our uh, battle of the bands again but it's not just about bringing bands in here and competition his vision in this is something that's sustainable let, let me let me let me word it this way in our in our culture in our church culture we tell people first first really you have to believe right you have to come to church you have to believe and then from that belief you, your, your, your behavior begins to change. And we hope to see that you're believing in Jesus is doing stuff. And then your behavior begins to change. And once your behavior begins to change, then, then finally you belong to the church. And that's wrong. It's completely backwards. And what we would like to do is begin to have people feel like they belong. 
that they belong no matter where they are. No matter what they're doing, they belong. And then hopefully, as they have this sense of belonging, because we're hoping that you are all going to be involved in these things, once they have that sense of belonging, then they begin to believe. And they start to think differently. And Jesus seeps in and creeps in. And it starts to change. We're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. But we have to give them a place to belong so they can begin to believe. And then once they believe then their behavior is going to change. We're not the morality police. And so what Mark, Mark's vision is to have a, a, a battle of the bands, I don't know, every month, every other month, we haven't quite figured that out yet, to bring people outside the church here, to give them a sense of belonging here. And you know what? It might get messy. There might be cigarette butts outside the door. Oh, I might, there might be food in here. I'll take care of that. Don't you worry about that. I'm all over that. But, but do you see, we've got this building. It's not for us. It's for the glory and the kingdom of God. And we want to change our focus. We want to be, I've always said this for years and years and years. What if Oasis burns down? Who cares? I mean, I know we would care. I'd be out of a job. I mean, I would care. But what would happen in the community? It would just be another blip on the horizon. Imagine, imagine a church that would burn down. And I'm not hoping our church burns down, believe me, don't get me wrong. But what if a church goes away and there's an outcry in the community of people going, we got to do something because this church is A, B, and C to us. That's the church I want. That's the ch- no, that's the church God calls us to. That's God's church. That's God's heart. And so we're, we're, we're going to look for ways. And my expectation, see, and, and, and some of you might think, well, you know, because we've had trouble in the past getting you to get involved in the service projects for outside of the wall. You've gotten the emails. We've got to cancel if people don't step up. And so this might be, you might think this as a way that we're just going to, you know, we're, we're trying to make it easy. No, 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 no. I'm asking more from you now. I'm asking that this isn't a Sunday morning church. This is an every day of your life church. That you are living your life for the gospel. You are inviting people to come to these things, to the battle of the bands. Even step out of your comfort zone and invite them to church. What could they say? No? Really? You're worried about a no? And so we want to look at ways, sustainable ways. Let me tell you something we did last week. We were blessed last week, uh, two weeks ago, when Pastor Rigo was here, so the week before he was here. Uh, and, and, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, and he just, he just, he drove it home for me. We were blessed by the time Tuesday came of that week, or Wednesday, there was $5,000 in checks that we were given as a church. So I was like, put that in the joy box. I felt joy, man. I was like, yeah, that's joy right there, right? Yeah. And so I'm here in Pastor Rigo, and the guy is doing it, man. Now, I know it's probably easier in Haiti to find the needs in the community. But he is a pastor of a church. And what is he also focusing on? Children. What is he focusing on? Education. That's what the church is about. And so, you know what we did? And I know I have your support in this. I went to John. I said, John, what do you think about this? We've got that five grand. That's enough to cover our budget for the week. We're going to give Pastor Rigo everything else that comes in. 
Because we want, he's doing it. And today we're going to stroke that mission of $4,000 check. Because we don't care about money in the bank. I mean, I don't want to sound like it's bad stewardship. We like to have a little cushion. Anna, Anna's very good with making sure we have a cushion. But we don't have a throne, okay? We have a pillow that we sit on and not a throne room. And if we're going to go broke, if we're going to go belly up, we're going to do it for the glory of God. And so that's what we're going to be doing. That's what we're going to be focusing on. And we need your help. We need all of you to join us in this. I know you're busy, but let me tell you what you're busy with. Everything that you've made a priority in your life. Maybe some of you need to change your priority. I'm just saying. Just throwing it out there. All right. I guess I should preach now because we're going to be here forever. Sure. I didn't get applause for that. Come on, man. I mean, everybody else got clapped, right? All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. We got, we got, we got some preaching to do or I'm not going to get paid this week. John already threatened me. I have my glasses on. Well, cause I can't see anymore. I can see. Hey, hey, I am a fit. These are not bifocals. They're progressives. There's a difference. All right. You know what? That's it. Chili fest. Here we come. No, I can. All right. I'm going to pray. We're going to get going. God, I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for church. I'm praying here. This is an unruly church. I have no idea. All right. Where was I? Oh, praying God. Thank you for this unruly group. I got, I got, I just ask you that the passion that's in your heart fills our heart. That the, that the passion in the the spirit of God, that passion just, just gets a hold of us. And so, God, I know the word this morning is simple, but yet I I believe it's so important for us to understand, especially as we we just live our lives. And so this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, we're working through the book of Galatians, and we talked about how Paul was kind of... Laying it out there. He, he wants the Galatian people to understand who he is. And so he begins to tell them his story. He begins to, to tell them what he's about, what, what is going on, where he's coming from. And he says that the gospel that was given to him was not from some human source, that God himself revealed it to him. And it was God's good pleasure that he would reveal Jesus Christ to him. Imagine that. God reveals... Jesus Christ to a man that's hunting Christians. And that God's grace was upon him. God's favor. God's favor is not only scandalous, but at times it could be just this vulgar thing as we look at it. And then he will continue, he will continue to go on with his story because I believe your story is your story. What God is doing in your life is so unique 
to the rest of the world, it's important for the world to know it. And it's important to Paul that the Galatians know where he is coming from. And so he's going to continue to share his story. In chapter 1, it says, he, tells us, he tells a little bit more. He says, I went to Jerusalem. I wanted to talk to the boys. I only saw a few of them there. And I spent just a little time there. And then I went off and I went to some other churches, some other places that didn't even know him. All they knew about Paul was there was this guy named Paul and he was persecuting the church. And now he is spreading the faith. See, they got wind of Paul's story and it was a huge witness to them. They were encouraged by it that this hater of the Christians has now become himself a Christian. That this hater of the church is now actually planting churches. And Paul is telling this for a reason. It's not just story time in the book of Galatians. He wants to make sure that he establishes his credibility as an apostle. He wants to make sure he establishes the credibility of the gospel that he has preached from day one and that he's preached to the Galatians. Remember, because there's people infiltrating this town, this city, these churches, bringing something different from what Paul has preached to them. And then he's going to continue on in the story, and that's where we're going to go. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, wait, did I miss like everything I was going to say? Oh, no, I got it all. Okay. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. So Paul heads 14 years later, he heads to Jerusalem to make sure that the gospel that he's been preaching, that the ministry that he's been doing is not been in vain. Now, I find this kind of interesting because it's taken him 14 years to come to the decision that maybe I better check this out. Maybe I better go and just kind of see what's going on. But it comes just not by his own, his own thought process. It comes from a divine revelation. And it leads Paul to go to Jerusalem, meet with Peter and the, those esteemed as leaders to talk to them. Now, notice it says that they are esteemed as leaders, but nowhere does it say that Paul actually esteems them as leaders. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. And so here's Peter, James, the other guys. Peter goes and he presents to them. This is, this is what I've been preaching all of these years. It's been Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus and nothing. Jesus alone is our salvation. Jesus alone is the forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus alone is our justification, our sanctification. And even when he's attacked briefly here, he will not give in. He is not going to give in to circumcision, which is this outward expression of something that, that needed to be done in some circles that they, they believed it needed to be done so that you can have salvation in following Jesus. He's not going to give in to them. 
verses 6. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now, what I find very interesting about this whole idea of Peter, I'm sorry, of Paul going to Jerusalem and he, and he wants to talk to the original apostles there. Everything that I've read and kind of studied through through this said that he had a very uh, he, he was very respectful of who these guys were, and and I, I do believe I do believe that's true. There there was a certain amount of respect that he had in part, but then again he he says uh, he, he goes that he went to those who were held in esteem, and I, I don't see anywhere where maybe I'm reading into this or I'm not reading enough into this where he actually says I esteem these guys, but he knows that something is going on there that these guys are leaders in the church. They were with Jesus. And there's, there is a respect there. They have a reputation. And Paul is going to go there and he, and he recognizes it. But man, I really wrestle with, I really wrestle with the first verse. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Now, if I can just kind of paraphrase that in, in my own language, Paul's like, eh, you know, I really don't care who they are or what they're really doing. Because God doesn't show favorites. And I wrestled with this verse that God doesn't show favorites. Because all through my life, I have been under the understanding and the belief as a pastor, as a man who studies the scriptures, spends time in prayer, I have always believed I am God's favorites. Now, you know, don't get, it's not, I don't say that in arrogance. I just say that kind of na 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 na. And so there's, there's a big difference there. I mean, he likes you guys too, but... Uh, come on and so i really kind of just wrestle with this idea of paul but you know but but i i love paul's paul's attitude because man i don't care who these people are i don't care who these people are he's essentially saying that he has been called by god for the purposes of god to go out and preach the gospel to the gentiles and nothing is going to come in his way nothing is going to stop him and i believe at this point in his life paul understands he is intimately aware that god is alive and well in his ministry because i believe paul believes that if it wasn't he would not be doing what he's doing for so long. Remember, when God called him, he blinded him. He understands the power of God and how God can intervene in the lives of just human people. And so for Paul, it doesn't matter what people's labels are, what people's titles are. He's been called and he's going to do the very thing that he has been called to do. But he just wants to make sure everybody's kind of on the same page. But I, I can relate to what Paul is, is talking about here. I kind of understand what he's going through. And so he presents his gospel to the founding fathers of the church. Jesus plus nothing. These Jewish men who were with Jesus. And they add nothing to his message. No law. No circumcision. They agree with Paul that it's Jesus and nothing else. 
Now they ask him that, that he would remember the poor. It's something that he has done. It's something that he continues to do. But they add absolutely nothing to his gospel. And Paul is sharing this to make sure that the Galatian church understands that these people that are coming and telling them that they have to follow the law and be circumcised, they are wrong. He's establishing the credibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ and himself as an apostle. But then he's going to talk about another story. And this is the story, this is the part of the story where we have to spend some time in. I think we're just going to chat a little bit about it and see what God does. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, this is a tough story to kind of get our mind around. And if it's tough, if it's tough story if you're a fan of Peter. What, what, what happens here, Peter? This, this leader of the Christian Jewish community from Jerusalem, he's going to head to Antioch and he's going to spend some time there. There's a church there and he's going to hang with some Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody that is not Jewish. And so these people have come together in this town and it says that, that they, are, they are eating together. They're taking their meals together. And it was probably, this is not something that Peter probably established. It probably had been going on before he got there. The Jewish believers in Jesus and the Gentile believers in Jesus, they come to the table and they share a meal. And they probably share in the, 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 the remembrance of the Last Supper in communion also. If you were a Jew... And not the follower of Jesus. This could and would never happen. Because the Gentiles, all of us, are unclean people. And how they prepare the food is unclean. And the things that they use to cook the food in, they're unclean. And if you were a Jew and you would be coming into contact with all this uncleanness... You too would become unclean, ceremonially unclean. And the Torah said, you can't do that. And this would present problems for you as a Jewish person. You would just not eat with the Gentile. It just wouldn't happen. Because there would be social problems, cultural problems, religious problems. But here's Peter, a Jewish man. A believer of Jesus Christ, a pillar in the Jewish Christian community in Jerusalem, sitting down and eating with the Gentiles. Essentially, what he's saying is that if you are a Jesus follower, no matter what your background, it's Jesus plus nothing. The law, you are no longer bound by the law. You are no longer bound by circumcision. He is declaring once again the gospel that Paul has been preaching. It's Jesus and nothing. That's it. There's nothing added to it for your salvation. Belief, faith in Christ, that's where it is. 
But then something begins to happen and things begin to change and this harmony begins to get messed up a little bit. It would seem that some people came from Jerusalem, uh, from James, and, and they, they start to, uh, to talk to Peter. James was another leader of the Jewish Christian community. And Peter begins to change and something happens to him. He begins to slowly withdraw from eating with the Christians. His attitude begins to change. And now there's a, there's a lot of speculation as to why this happened. What did these people tell him? What did these people say to him? Now it says that he was fearful of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And, and I, I think the, the main thrust of this is what's happening is word is getting back to Jerusalem that Peter is breaking the law. Peter is breaking dietary laws, eating with these Gentiles. And the scribes and Pharisees back in Jerusalem are using this against the movement of Jesus so they can tell people, you don't you follow Jesus, man. You break the law. You break the Mosaic law. You go against Torah. What? You can't do that. They were trying to discredit this Jesus movement. Some scholars would say that there was a militant faction going around hunting for Jews that were breaking the law. Hunting them and, and killing them. Because they were breaking the law. They were zealous, as Paul once was zealous, to make sure that God will not be mocked. Little did they know that they were actually mocking God. And so Peter, he, he backs off. He backs off to the point where he just stops eating with them altogether. He breaks away from them altogether. And can you, I mean, you got to ask yourself, can you blame him? Can you really blame him? He is trying to protect the witness, his ministry, trying to protect it from, from something that's trying to thwart it and, sub, and subvert it. He doesn't want his witness to be ruined by, by this. Can you really blame him? He's worried for the safety of Jewish men and women who are following Jesus that may come under attack because of these militant factions that are out there hunting them down. Can you blame him for just withdrawing from the Gentiles? Guess what? Paul does. Paul calls him out. It would seem that Peter's change of heart has nothing to do with conviction, nothing to do with divine intervention. Peter's change of heart has everything to do with fear. He was afraid of what people were saying. He was afraid of what people were doing. He was afraid of the consequences of living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that fear, Paul calls him a hypocrite. You know, hypocrite, person that says one thing, does something completely different. Paul calls him out, calls him a hypocrite. And his hypocrisy has a negative effect upon all of the other Jews that are with him. And they begin to slowly stop eating with the Gentiles. And it gets so bad that even Barnabas, Paul's companion, chooses to withdraw from that. And this is devastating for Paul. Paul is upset and angry because they've established what the gospel is already. They've talked about it already. They know that it's Jesus and that's it, Jesus. And so Peter, in his fear, in his, in his hypocrisy, leads others to live in hypocrisy. And you know, this is, this, this is Peter, okay? Jesus told him, you know, Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church. Yeah, he, he didn't... 
he had some really bad mess-ups early on when he was hanging with Jesus. But there's, there's a story in the book of Acts when, uh, at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down and all the boys are talking in this crazy language and people are laughing at them. Look it, they're all drunk and it's early in the morning. And Peter stands up and says, oh, nay, nay. And he goes into this sermon, this Jesus sermon, and at the end of it, it says, immediately, 3,000 people believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized. Man, that's a sermon, huh? 3,000 people. The guy was fearless. There's this other story in Acts where uh, he heals a beggar. You know that story where the dude's, you know, he got some spare change. And Pete's like, hey, listen, I got nothing. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The guy gets up and walks. And so Peter and John, they're brought into the, to the scribes. They're brought into the religious leaders. And they're questioned by whose authority do you do this? These guys could kill them, okay? And they're questioning people. By whose authority do you do this? And Peter stands up. He says, by the authority of Jesus Christ. Because it's only in him that there is salvation. The guy was fearless. He is telling the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's telling the people who killed Jesus because he claimed to be the Messiah that Jesus is the Messiah. The guy is fearless. But now this. But now this. He's grown fearful. And in his fear, he has grown to this place of hypocrisy. I'll tell you, man, how Peter's story is our story. And how our story is, is Peter's story. You know, James chapter 3, it says that we all stumble in many ways. That means we all make mistakes. We all say the wrong things. We all do the wrong things. We all stumble and make mistakes. Last Monday, uh, I woke up in the morning, and my job is to get Ethan off to school. And so, you ever wake up and just you just you just feel out of sync? You know what I mean? Just like things just uh, aren't right. And so, the morning was less than harmonious, and uh, and and things just started to build a little bit. And um, I was getting ready for school, getting Ethan ready for school, and it was just snowballing and. I will admit that I made things much worse than they had to be. I did not handle that situation at all the way I should. And in the end of it, Sandy was upset and Ethan was upset. I remember, I remember sitting down that morning and, and you ever, ever like sit down after something like that and, and the smoke settles and you just wish you can have the last half hour back. Like do over. You know, mulligan, whatever you want to call it, man. You just wish you can have the last half hour back. That was my Monday morning. And Sandy actually made me do penance. I had to go grocery shopping (laughs) by myself on my day off. That woman is, she can be tough sometimes. But here's, here's the point of that. We all stumble. We all make the wrong choices. We all know that we at any moment can just just mess up. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Jesus follower for or not. It doesn't matter if you're a newbie or a veteran. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a priest. We all make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are, are big time and significant mistakes. 
And that knowledge, that idea should bring us to our knees in humility. To understand that apart from Jesus Christ, we really can't live this life that we're called to. That, a, that, that we need him for our forgiveness. That we need him for our grace. That we need him that, that he would call us back and go, yeah, you know what, man? You, uh-uh, you're going grocery shopping. Humbly, I put my tail between my legs. I, I showed her I spent 200 bucks and ate a whole thing of Pepperidge Farm cookies. But that's, you know, that was just, that was just me. We all make mistakes. Our strength, if any strength that we have, comes from the grace and the mercy of God every day. Any spiritual steps forward, any spiritual growth in our life comes from the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. All good things that we have in our lives come as a gift from God. Are you tracking with me here? And so in that knowledge that we can all fall and make the wrong choices and that it's only Christ that can sustain us and pick us back up and put us back on the right track. We need to be vigilant in our spiritual journey. We always have to be aware of the pitfalls that can come. We always have to be aware of the attacks. Be aware of your weaknesses because those are the things that are going to creep in and one morning you're just going to blow it big time. Continue, continually practice the discipline of the spiritual disciplines. Continually practice the discipline of the spiritual disciplines because those are the things that are going to keep us focused on God. Be aware. Tap into the power of the cross, the authority of the Holy Spirit, so that we can travel a journey worthy of what we've been called to travel. God's gift of grace and mercy are new every single morning. And know what that means? You can't live in yesterday. You can't live with yesterday's gift. It's like manna. It goes bad. It gets worms. But today, you're called to live in this moment of grace, this moment of God's mercy. And you know why it's so important for us to get a hold of this? Because as Peter stumbled, as he messed up, he took other people with him. In his hypocrisy, he led other people astray from the gospel. We don't live our life of faith in a private little bubble. There, are, there is nobody here that's a hermit and lives, lives a solitary life. And that's especially true in our faith. And whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, your life influences the lives of other people. For good and for bad. And spiritual hypocrisy will affect people within the faith, within church, and on the outside. People are watching you that you don't even know are watching you. And your life is speaking volumes to them. I've had so many conversations with people who don't go to church. 
and say, yeah, I, I know Christian people, you know, and, and they're always like preaching this one thing or telling me this, but you know, their life, the way they live is completely different from the things that they actually say. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I am that person. But it's by God's grace that he's moving me farther and farther away from where I used to be. I'm not, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. My father used to tell me, um, you know, Dennis, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. He used to try to get out of a lot of trouble as a kid. And when I got grounded for a few weeks, I'd, I'll be good. I'm sorry. I figured sorry was like, that's the, that's, I'll be good. He'd say, well, show me. And then he always said, because your actions speak so loud, I, I just can't hear what you're saying. And so we are called to the disciplines of our faith. Not because they make us a better person. Not because they make us holier than thou. Not so we can brag and boast about, hey, look what we're doing. You know, I'm praying. Look, at, I lost 18 pounds because I fasted for the last month. Oorah. I mean, it's not about that. Prayer. Scripture reading. Meditation. Serving. Generosity. Those are the things that make us so aware of our own personal spiritual poverty. Those are the things that make us aware that without Christ, we got nothing, man. We, we got nothing. But they also make us more aware of God's love and that grace and that mercy. They make us aware of, of the calling that's in our life. It reveals to us the power of God and how, the, how we have been called to walk in that power. It moves us. It moves us from a place of, of personal poverty to a place of divine riches. I'd much rather live rich in the kingdom of God and poor in my own spirit than anything else. And this is all, see, this is all about community. This is all about people being together, working together, living together, loving together, being in the context of community together. And there's a, just there's one more part of the story that really struck me. Um, and it's, it's Paul's willingness to call Peter out. It's Paul's willingness to stand up to Peter and say, you are wrong. Now, we have to be very, very careful here. Because some Christian people, let me see how I can word this plainly. Some Christians, they just need to shut up. I'm not quite sure how else I can, I can say that. You, they, they need to keep their mouth shut. Because too many people I've gone through this journey, they, they think they are the Holy Spirit. And they need to bring conviction down upon these people. Or they think they are the morality police. And they're going to make sure that you follow the rules. Whatever those rules are for that particular day. Those people just need to kind of be quiet. But saying that. Jesus followers do not live in a bubble. 
We are called to live in community with each other. We are called to live in community with the world. Being in the world, but not of the world. We are called to this place of community. And within that community, we have to allow, we have to allow some people to get close to us. Let some people in. Jesus had his three closest. Then he had the 12, he had the 70, then he had all of the rest. He let people into his life. We need to let people into our lives that love us and that we can trust, that we respect, and that can speak words to us that we would be open to hearing. Have those hard and difficult conversations because they are hard and they are difficult to hear, to receive, rebuke. We don't like that word rebuke. But when it's done right, it tastes as honey. I've been rebuked the wrong way and I have been rebuked the right way. And I have grown from being rebuked the right way. We have to let those people in our lives. And you have to be willing to be one of those people with each other, with the few, not a many. I don't want to hear people getting yelled at out there at the Chili Fest, unless the chili's bad. But I mean, other than that, you have to allow a few people in and you have to be willing to speak into their lives. And stop it with the excuse, well, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, so I mean, I, I, you know, I, what, what am I going to say? That is, that's dumb. If I see you, you're going to stick a fork in a light socket, well, pff, I've made a mistake once or twice, let's see what happens to him. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But are you willing to come alongside someone that you are in relationship with, that trusts you and you trust them, to say, man, I, you know, I see this in you. And this is going to end bad. This is not what God has called you to. Not from a place of arrogance or I'm better, but a place where I care what happens to you. We need to open ourselves up to that. We need to open ourselves up to actually be that. And I have some ideas when I get back from Africa how we might want to try that. It's not going to be for everyone, but maybe for some of you, you are going to benefit from a little plan I've hatched. <laughs> we're going to put your sin up here in your name. We're all going to pray. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> For mine, let alone everybody else. And maybe you ask, well, why did Paul call Peter out so harsh? I mean, he calls him out in front of people. He's like, yo, Pete, you are wrong. It says in Timothy that... Uh, and, and I get Paul wrote it. So when an elder sins, when a leader sins, he gets called out in public. So that others will take warning. I admit that puts a little tension in my belly when I think about things like that. But for the rest of us, will you open your life up to a few that they could speak into your life and that you can speak into their life? Will you, will you live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ that's there? Will you understand that we are in this together? Your faith is very personal, but it was never meant to be lived in private. 
Engage in the disciplines. You need them. You need prayer. You need the words of this book. We need each other. And as we journey together, let us continually focus that our lives would lead people to the gospel and not away from it. God, I want to thank you for your word and that you chose it to be spoken. And God, even in Peter's stumbling, Lord, there's redemption. And Lord, I pray, I pray a prayer over each person here as we are all hypocrites in so many ways. But Lord, we have the forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ upon us and that we could pick ourselves up and walk with our heads held high. But God, I pray that we would continually move away from that life and move towards the cross, move towards sanctification, that every day, little by little, our life would look more and more like the life of Jesus Christ. But we cannot do it alone. We need the power of the Spirit. And so, Lord, let the Spirit fall upon everyone in this room. May the authority of the Spirit fall upon everyone in this room. May the power of the Spirit infiltrate hearts and souls this morning. And may we continue to grow together as a community, as a Jesus community. We pray this in that precious name who gave himself for us that we can know wholeness. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.